Hey everybody, thank you for downloading the Leeds Book Club podcast. We're delighted to announce that this week we have a special guest star podding with us, Chris Nixon. A Leeds lad originally, he has recently returned from the States where he's been working as a music journalist and has started writing historical mystery novels set in Leeds in 1731. Anybody who follows the blog will know that I've already reviewed The Broken Token, the first in the Richard Nottingham series, and have just finished finished Cold Cruel Winter, the second in the series. Chris has also been kind enough to offer a short story entitled Home, which is available exclusively on the blog. Hi, Chris. Hi, Neve. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm hearing in the accent. You've definitely spent some time in the States. I spent actually more than half my life in the States. I, was there, I lived there for 30 years. Whereabouts were you? Um, the first 10 years I was in Cincinnati in the Midwest, and then the next 20 years I was in Seattle. So, so I, be- I believe you were a music journalist. Well, I still am, actually. Oh, you still, still, um, do you still do pieces or primarily books oh, yeah, now? Yeah, I still do quite a bit, actually, in terms of reviews and interviews and stuff like that. For a number of magazines and websites and what have you. So it's still a big part of what I do in music remains a huge passion for me yeah i don't think it ever goes away (laughs) um i don't think it does it's been here since i was 13 and it's showing no sign of abating so (laughs) so uh but from from seattle back to the uk that's a a bit of a culture shock um it was i think i'm i've been back six years now and i think i'm kind of adjusted yeah but still probably not completely there are things I'm used to and just things I refuse to do when I go into a coffee shop I insist on ordering a mocha not a mocha <laughs> things like that so um, and I still say banana not banana little things like that yeah, it's, it's the little things <laughs> um, obviously you have spent a huge portion of your career as a as a music journalist but then since 2010 you've started publishing um fictional novels um, the the two that I'm um, most familiar with relating to Richard um, Nottingham how how did you make that move into fiction well, well I've always written fiction I mean I wrote my first novel when I was 19 um, it's just that a lot of them have been unpublished and which is probably just as well to be honest <laughs> um, there was one novel I wrote probably about 2004, 2005, right before I moved back, mm. um, that was set in Leeds in the 1730s, and Richard Nottingham was um, a secondary character in that. And um, I showed that to an agent over here who liked the writing but didn't think the story worked and said, go away and do something else and show it to me, and that's how The Broken Token was born. Really. So you've been living with this guy for quite a while then? I have, and I mean, I've just completed the fourth book in the series, so um, he's very familiar to me now, yeah. I say. I think that was something that, I mean, the, the broken token was, um, it was just, it's just so different from anything that I've read before. Uh, obviously, living in Leeds, you know, having it based in the city, I mean, even though it's not the city of today, it's still, there are still aspects of it that are really recognisable. And you obviously write about Leeds from uh, a place of total love and affection. I mean, you, you, you still seem to be a hometown boy at heart. Well, I think um, that where you grow up, it's somewhere you know in your bones. It's somewhere you know better than anywhere else you might live. Mm. Um, I actually spent lived in Seattle longer than I lived in Leeds, um, but I know Leeds in a way that I can never quite know Seattle. I mean, my family roots are in Leeds, dating back to right around 1800, in fact. So... It's it's just something I I feel and have a a very deep sense of and and a deep love for because I realized later that 
In many ways, Leeds itself is a character in the Broken Token. Very much so. I mean, it's 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 a secondary character with relation to the action, but it's it's it envelops the the whole story is so um it's so influenced by the history of the town and the buildings and the the social structures. You know, I mean, it's it's almost pervasive. Well, I, I think it has to be in a in any historical novel. Mm. You have to give people the sense of place and time and obviously you know that in Leeds the geography is, is very similar the street layout of the city center the real city center is very much as it was then yeah um, but there are other things that I, I think convey a sense of, of place and particularly of time smells and sounds and I, I wanted to have people finish the book and feel they'd actually been there and experienced that mm. um, that's the, I think that's the only way you can really be successful in any kind of historical novel um, One of the beauties of, of sort of having a, a, a physical copy of it was that I, I traced some of the activity um, I, I like literally walked around the centre of the town because I, I wanted to see how much of it you know you can still find and I, it, it was astounding the streets have obviously changed but they're still they're still running almost exactly as you've described them and you know and a, a lot of the, the older buildings or even you know even builds that have been remodelled over the years they're still in the right places you know so yeah, I mean, to be honest, there's very little left from the early 18th century. You've got Holy Trinity Church, St. John's Church. Mm. I mean, the parish church is in the same location, but it was rebuilt in 1838. Mm. Um, you've got Whitelocks, which is in Turk's Head Yard and was the Turk's Head back in those days. Yeah. You've got the ship, and that's pretty much kind of it. About it. <laughs> yeah. um, but. And, and that's a shame, and, and I think actually shame on Leeds for getting rid of so much of its pre-Victorian history, but um, there's still that sense of things. Mm. Um, well, hopefully there is. I, oh, I would definitely, I definitely think that there is. But I think more than that, you managed to capture the fact that although the, the setting is historic and the way people respond to certain things is defined by the era that they live in, people are still people, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, all of yeah. the, the actions, the responses, I mean, it's quite interesting when, when people are just, you know, characters in your book, are, are especially in The Broken Token, I think, because... Um, because you're setting the scene as much for the series as as for the book, but the way that they respond to to things like pickpockets and the relationship I think between the chief constable and the mayor it fascinates me because you know you, you see the evidence of that on the television every night when there's something happens and increasingly yeah, yeah. uncomfortable looking policemen you know well it's funnily enough, Richard Nottingham was actually the constable of Leeds at that time. Um, although I'm sure that the title would have been more or less a sinecure. Yeah. And actually, the real Richard Nottingham, uh, his father was the constable before him. Um, but so I, I've taken some liberties with that. Mm. And uh, But the mayor and the coroner, the real names of the mayor and the coroner at the time. Yeah. And uh, I'm not even sure why I did that. I think just to, to give it some bit more historical grounding mm. um, and made it seem a little more real but I mean to me these days Richard Nottingham is my Richard Nottingham is completely real yeah um, and I have a huge amount of affection for him and for John Sedgwick as well I, I've got to say I think he's actually my favorite character in it He's um he's so warm. He's just such a warm guy. You know, you could see yourself meeting this fella and really liking him. Whereas Richard is by necessity a little bit more aloof. Yeah, yeah. It's they make an interesting pair. I think. Um, I mean, to be honest, with the broken token, I wasn't setting the scene for a series. I ne I, I didn't even think of it as the start of a series when I wrote it. It was just a book. 
and it was only later when the publisher said well what about another I thought oh yeah well I guess I can Oh, that's really interesting because I, I, at the moment that I put down the broken token, I, I was thinking, oh, there, there's, there's going to be more. I mean, it was, it, it felt like it, it felt like it was the, the start of their adventures together, if you know what I mean, rather than a standalone. Yeah, uh, and I mean that's that's what it's turned out to be. But what I've tried to do with each one is mess with the the basic formula of, of crime fiction a little bit. I mean, the second one, Cold Cruel Winter, which you've read, mm. is not a whodunit at all. No, it's very structurally very different books. And, and that, was, that was a deliberate thing. Um, I didn't want... I don't want to write the same thing over and over. Yeah, avoid the um, formula. So, I wanted to mess with it and, and change things around, but also to develop the main characters. That was vitally important to me. My, my father was a writer, mm. and um, the main thing I remember him saying is, if you create a strong enough character, people will follow them anywhere. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to do, and the personal lives of the main characters, to me, are every bit as important as the, the plot, the mystery. Yeah. Um, and how you know how they grow, how they deal with things, how they develop, and even the secondary characters, um, the Amos Worthy, for example, uh, who's the main villain, if you like. Oh, I, I really, I have such affection for him. <laughs> well, uh, strangely enough, so do I. Um, I th the first scene I ever wrote with him in it. After I finished, I just sat back and I just thought, I've got something here. Yeah. And I'm actually toying at some point with the idea of um, a novel featuring Amos Worthy. And I have a couple of short stories um, that are about him. One was published in an anthology uh, called Criminal Tendencies, actually before The Broken Token was published, but after it was written. Yeah. And there's another story about him that's up on script. Uh, website, so it's there for anybody to read. Oh, I shall be checking that out. <laughs> and of course, you know, the, the third book in the series is coming out in January. Is that the um, the Constant Lovers? It is, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, the fourth one is complete, but um, the publisher is waiting to see the American reaction to Cold Cruel Winter, which has literally just come out there before deciding what to do, whether they want to do anything with that. Yeah. And personally, I hope they do, because from my mind, to my mind, it's um, it's the best of the books, but... Uh, well, fingers crossed, um, yeah. we'll be hearing from you soon that that's, uh, that's to be released. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping so, but, uh, you know, and I'm, there's still more I want to do with these characters, yeah. although I, I will say that the fourth book ends on a real cliffhanger quite deliberately. Oh, cruel, man, that's cruel. <laughs> um, just so, to go back to Amos for a moment. Um, yeah. One of, one of the things that I enjoy, I, I, I know that he and Richard have a history that goes back to, to Richard's sort of childhood. Um, but irrespective of that, I think that they have such, that there are little idiosyncrasies between the two of them that I just really enjoy. I love that he insists on calling him Laddie the whole time. Were you conscious, like, were you consciously writing in that sort of very familiar relationship, or was it? Did it just sort of develop as the two characters it just interact? Developed. I mean, um, physically, to a small degree, the Amos Worthy in my head is a little reminiscent of one of my grandfathers, who's now quite long dead, mm. whose first name coincidentally, was, whose middle name was, no, first name was Amos. Mm. Um, so I, 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 there's that connection in there, but his tone is very different, and, and, and my grandfather was not a criminal at all, I, <laughs> I, should, I should probably state that. <laughs> Didn't run a brothel, um, no? <laughs> um, 
was that Amos Worthy just came fully formed to me. Mm. Um, one of those real gifts a writer loves. Um, and he just sprang out fully formed and I made the most of him. Mm. For, for, to my mind, he's um, he's a little bit like what the artful Dodger would be like if he grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I don't see that. I, the, the relationship between him and Richard Nottingham, to me, is a little bit like the relationship between um, Ian Rankin's main character and one of the Edinburgh criminal kingpins mm. in, um, in the Rebus books. Yeah. Um, there's a, a kind of mutual respect and a mutual hatred but at the same time there are some similarities between them in, that they may or may not choose to recognise mm. um, enough to create a bond beyond the bond that, that, that goes back yeah so it's um, yeah Amos is a very interesting character um, and he's there again in, in, in the third book. I was just going to say, I I'm, I'm can't, can't wait to see what happens with him. Although he has a, a, a much smaller role in the third book. I suppose it's necessary as well, because I mean, when, that's one of the, again, one of the things that I, I really enjoy about your books is that um, it, nothing is static. You know, I mean, I couldn't, I, w I was sort of three pages into the, the second book before I realised that um, that his daughter had passed away. And I mean, it came as an awful shock to me. You don't expect secondary, but still sort of primary characters to be killed off, off, off screen as well as it were, you know, and, and um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm, the name has just now popped out of my head. You know, the little lad that they had- Josh. Sort of, Josh, that they had apprenticed. The, the fact that the, the idea of him, you know, um, it, it being suggested that that he'd leave and everything, that, that again, I was really shocked by that. But I suppose in order to keep it fresh, you need to be constantly, as, as a city of that side would have been, people come and people go, you know? Well, it's also a reflection of life. I mean, life was pretty short for a lot of people there mm. and pretty dangerous. I mean, there were a lot of illnesses around. People succumbed quite easily um it was you know largely a young population and a, a lot of women died in childbirth many children never made it to adulthood and even where they did many of them died young so i'm, I'm actually just trying to reflect the time mm. more than anything else and People, as you say, do come and go, so it's um, it's just the nature of life, really. It is, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, you've done quite a lot of research, you know, for the time period and and the um, the primary criminal device that's used in the second book, which, by the way, is one of the more unpleasant things that I've ever had inside my head, you know. Um, but that was based Actually, on a know, real that, thing. Um, came from. A story uh, was inspired by a real-life news story uh, of oh, 2008, maybe, mm. of a book that was found on the street in Leeds um, and turned into police because it was obviously an old book, yeah, quite valuable, and um, it was when they discovered what the uh, the binding was made of that inspired the story so it, 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 there is sort of a, a faint historical base for it and um it's ghoulish it's absolutely grotesque i can't understand why yeah. anybody would choose to do it at all <laughs> but you know as i found out it was actually relatively commonplace at, at one point and obviously we're not going to say what it was i'm so, trying very hard not to to keep uh, uh, to keep it quiet but oh yeah um, peak people's interests exactly <laughs> but i mean i've done a lot of research on the period and particularly on the leads in the period mm. um leads history funnily enough became a fascination of mine i guess after i 
uh, lived in Seattle. I, I would come back about once a year and generally pick up whatever Leeds history books I could find, mm. just in general. And um, also eBay was very good for that. Mm. Um, I managed to get a couple of wonderful 19th century books, although the postage was horrendous. <laughs> um, and I brought all those back with me, so I have a nice little library of lead stuff. The Thorsby Society is fantastic for Leeds history. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they have a, a wonderful library. So it's, um, the resources are there, and the interest in the history came before the books, well before. Mm. Um, I don't, I know I couldn't have set the books anywhere else, because there's nowhere else I know as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, that said, I'm actually working on two books at the moment, uh, one of which is set in Leeds during the, uh, the Civil War. So uh, quite a different time frame, really. Actually, it, it turned out that Leeds was occupied by, it was an occupied city, uh, a garrison of um, roundhead troops after the city had been taken and retaken, occupied the city and all of Yorkshire pretty much belonged to the roundheads. And I found that interesting and um, so I'm, there's a mystery, I'm writing a mystery story that's set in Leeds in that period. And there was quite a bit of destruction to the city by um, Scottish troops. And mm. I just find that very interesting. The, and the other one is actually set in the uh, the music scene in Seattle in the late 80s, right, sort of before grunge broke. So for once, I'm actually writing what I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that anybody reading um, the, the Richard Nottingham books would think that you don't know the background there. You, you, it's it's so it's they're very well informed books in all fairness you know um but obviously as a as a, a child of the the 90s you know the grunge scene was a a huge bone of contention in my family in fact my brother is still a cobain widow so i'm um i'm very excited to to hear about that is it a fi fictional again or oh yeah yeah, it yeah. Is. It's, it's another mystery but it's the main character is a music journalist um, <laughs> really? What on earth made you think of that? I don't know what made me consider that. It's, uh, <laughs> but it's... Um, a lot of the main characters are fictional, but the, uh, the music paper, the guy freelancers for The Rocket mm. actually existed, and I worked for them for several years, and... Um, the locations are quite real, including, you know, the clubs and yeah. um, the coffee shops and the coffee carts. And it sounds like the sort of thing that if you were there, you'll know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I sent the first 25,000 words out to several readers, some of whom are friends who were there and in the music scene at the time some people who know Seattle but weren't involved in music, some have never been to Seattle, some who know nothing about the music, mm. to get different opinions. And um, some of the friends of mine who, who were involved in the music scene at the time just said, thankfully, you've nailed it. Oh, that's so, it must have been quite a relief to hear as well. But It's interesting because it requires such a, t a completely different voice. Yeah. I mean... Uh, to me, the Richard Nottingham books have very much their own voice. It's... I feel like there's a lot of poetry in it. It's very lyrical. Yeah, yeah. And quite... I mean, the Civil Fit um, novel doesn't have that. It's, it's more prosaic and straightforward. But that's the tone that seems to... to feel right to mm. me. Mm. It feels, it, I suppose it sort of feels right for the time as well. <coughs> to a degree, yeah. It's, um, I don't know why the Richard Nottingham books have that particular tone. It, it's just what came and what felt right 
and um, so it's, it's become part of the landscape of the books now. Mm. I mean, I've the constant love is the third one. Actually, takes Richard Nottingham a bit further out of Leeds uh, in two different directions: one to Horsforth, and also to Roundey. Um, so he's working a bit more out of the city because, of course, those were villages that were not part of Leeds at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, a part of it takes place at Kirkstall Abbey. Oh, I love that uh, place. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but the uh, after the dissolution and the monastery fell into disrepair, the bottom of the east window, the big east window, and the uh, and the church there was demolished, and the road to Leeds actually ran right through the nave of Kirkstall Abbey. I I've, I've never I've never read that before. I never come across that that before. Gosh, it's uh, it seems. It seems totally disrespectful, ir irreverent, almost to to that 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 it was constructed there. I mean, it, they really yeah. wanted the abbey to be redundant, didn't they? Well, yeah, and I, they've actually rebuilt the the space up to the bottom of the window. Mm. Did that in the nineteenth century, but I was I was actually out there a few weeks ago, and I was looking, I was thinking, well, at the entrance to the church, that road must have been damn thin. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, uh, I, you know, it's something I just found fascinating. And, um, but the, the fourth book, the focus is, is very, very much on the centre of Leeds. I don't think he, well, apart from a, the end, which takes place um, just over the bridge in Hunslet, I don't think he really goes beyond Brigitte at all. It's pretty much all Brigitte and the calls. Mm. And that was a very deliberate decision to to go from a, a wider screen to a very tight focus, if yeah. you like. Yeah. And I've been making notes for the fifth book, and that's going to be very much within Leeds itself. And um, there's actually a lovely Leeds story I plan on including in it as part of it. It's um, there used to be a an inn called The Crown, which was on Kirgit, it was almost next to, just up from uh, the parish church. Mm. <laughs> and um, a recruiting sergeant was in town and got a couple of lads to sign up, got them drunk, <laughs> and put the bed in the, uh, in the stables at the inn, Yeah. locked, locked them in so they couldn't do a runner during the night. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, he unlocked the stables and they were gone. And couldn't figure out what had happened to them. But they found out later, when they got to the bottom of the hay, up in the, the hayloft in the stables, two decomposed bodies. <gasps> They'd burrowed themselves down in the hay to get themselves warm and suffocated. Oh, wow. And... Um, to commemorate it, somebody, and no one seems to know who, put um, a stone like a brick in the, in the side of the yard there with two skulls carved in it. To represent these two men. Yeah. And this particular stone disappeared and it was found many, many years later, um, built into a factory in Buslingthorpe. <laughs> had quite the history. <laughs> I forget exactly where it is now. I mean, for a long time, um, the yard there was called the Skull and Stones Yard. Because of, the, because of this particular stone. Yeah. But it's just a great story, and it's one of those, you know, just got to include. Oh, uh, God, yeah. I mean, that must be one of the best things about, you know, being in the position you're in. You, you get to... You get to find out, to track down all of the origins for these weird names and old wives' tales and stuff, and then discover that oh, they yeah, actually yeah, have quite absolutely. a basis in it. fact, you know? Um, just to talk for a second, what, what I, I mean, I imagine structurally, presumably you get the idea and then you start executing it on page. Which, um, which process do you find, I mean, as a professional 
writer, I'm assuming that the, the process of writing doesn't fill you with the, the fear that it can inspire in the rest of us. <laughs> um, um, there's always that fear of the first page. I think if I get the first page, or even the first paragraph as I want it, then I'm able to carry on from there. Yeah. Um, I know how a book starts. I have a pretty good idea how it ends. Where it goes in between depends on the characters. Yeah. I'm all I'm doing is writing down the movie in my head. It's <laughs> quite a. Uh, uh, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. I'm just watching what's going on and writing it down. And um, I mean, sometimes I, I know what's going to happen for the next ten, twelve pages. Mm. Sometimes I don't even have a clue what's happening next. <laughs> And then somebody decides to throw a spanner in the works by heading in the wrong direction or <laughs> discovering uh, a need. Strange things do happen. In, in the second book, uh, where the bad guy starts to self-harm, mm. um, that just came out of nowhere and what his girlfriend did after. Again, that was just an absolute shock to me. Their, their, I mean, their relationship was um, very destructive. I suppose is, is one of the words. But also, they they were very well suited to one another. I, I think. Yeah, they were. They were. And I mean, in a way, there was actually a real romance to their relationship in a, in a rather twisted way. Yeah, well, the, she did wait for years for him. Yeah, yeah. And. Um, it's, um, but the way they were with each other, and the way he could be with himself, again, that was that was quite a shock to me. Mm. Uh, I, I really hadn't seen that coming at all, and it's just what was happening in my head, and I wrote it down. And, I, and it worked. I wasn't even sure afterwards whether I'd to keep it or not, so. But I, I think I think it ended up, um, it really humanized him. In a way that he, 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 you know, obviously you're too good a writer to have allowed it to happen, but he could have become almost a parody of himself, and he didn't. He remained a very grounded character, off as rocker-like, but, you know, still... It, it was it was almost like within his own boundaries. That made complete sense, you know, for... Yeah, oh, and I'm, I'm lucky because I have a friend who reads and gives long critiques before these reach a publisher or an editor mm. and it's a guy I've known for oh, over 25 years now he's the best writer I know although he's known as a playwright and a short story writer he lives in the States mm. and um, we basically critique each other's work and I mean after I've sent him a novel he'll make notes and we'll be on the phone for two to three hours going through the notes he's made. Yeah. And, and vice versa as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm lucky in having that, and he's done a lot to help these books um, with his suggestions, many of which are small, mm. but they all mount up, and I mean, he was the one who gave the thumbs up to that and said, yeah, it works, because I, I have to admit, I was still unsure in myself. Yeah. So, um, and... You know, Cold Crawl Winter is quite deliberately a very dark book. Um, the fourth book in the series is actually, I think, darker still in a, in a slightly different way. Yeah. So, and even if you don't realize at the time, I, I, I think um, books of their own accord have a kind of theme. I mean, The Broken Token is very much about family. Yeah, there's Different. definitely that um, from, from start. The fact that he's having those problems with his youngest daughter as well, I mean, it just seems to cement that familial interaction throughout. Well, families of different types. Um, I mean, there's the, the, fa uh, there's the family that John Sedgwick puts together with Lizzie. Mm-hmm instance um, and Josh who's this kid who's been sleeping rough becomes part of the family 
by becoming a constable's man, yeah. if you like. And then there's the, the family connections between Richard Nottingham and Amos Worthy. Yeah. And but even down to the victims, you know, they're yeah, yeah. the fa the family seems to extend across the the board there. It does, and I mean, again, it wasn't a conscious thing, but it, I realised later that was the theme, and I mean, the theme in Cold Cruel Winter is very much one of death, mm. uh, in in different forms. Um, Jacob, as a Jacob, the um, the 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 poor um. The, 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 throughout the book, he's described as the, as the Jew. Yeah. I mean, he, he, that was um, he what a, what a wonderful character, and then suddenly he's he's gone, and it's and it's totally senseless. Mm -hmm. Especially given the the much sort of deeper and more thought out murders that are being committed by the the primary antagonist. Oh yeah, yeah. Very much so, and I mean, there actually was someone who lived in Leeds at the time who was who was called Isaac the Jew mm. uh, which and he was the only one which given the huge increase in, in Jewish population during the 19th century seems kind of strange really. yeah um, and you know the third book Constant Lovers the theme on that is very much about greed and ambition in different ways so it's um I suppose, as I, I've grown as a writer as well, and I think more about what I'm doing now, mm. which isn't to say I plot it out or anything like that, but uh, like in the fourth book. Sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that a little bit. Our connection went a bit dodgy. Oh, sure. You went silent on me. <laughs> you oh, were just saying that. Why um, did you lose me? The, the, the theme was ambition. Um, the theme of the third book was ambition. And, and the constant lovers. And the fourth one is different again. And um, there are lots of things I'm trying to explore. I mean, um, Emily's sort of proto feminism in the first book, if you like, mm. um, that comes back later. She said, as a friend of mine said, Emily's got her mojo back. <laughs> she was uh, a very um, defeated character in the second book, having you know uh, just lost her, her sister and her um, confidant. I mean, Richard Nottingham. Well, the whole Nottingham family is, is very downcast and trying to mm. put themselves back together. And where do they go after losing their older daughter? And um, there's a real tenderness in them in the the sort of. I suppose it's the scene where husband and wife, you know, realize that they're they're going going to come out the other side of that, you know, and, and he walks to work the next day on cloud nine, you know, and it's that it's it's not about it's it, it's for him it's the simple thing of knowing that they're going to survive, they're going to make it and and I thought all of those interactions between the two of them were so gentle, they were really it was really touching, you know. Oh good. That was what I, <laughs> that was what I wanted and um <laughs> I mean, so someone remarked that um, one of the things that stays with the reader after finishing the books is, is Richard Nottingham's compassion, and mm. um, I hope so. I mean, it's in their own way, these are actually quite political books. I've referred to them before as sort of socialist mysteries. Yeah, and they're very, very much about the poor. Now, that was, that was a deliberate choice mm. it's so many historical novels are about the rich and the powerful and the famous yeah and I just wanted to be away from that because the way ordinary people lived and died interests me a lot more yeah social history and that's what I wanted to focus on and um, hopefully I've succeeded there it's it's certainly an aim one of the big aims of the books all throughout mm. I mean, uh, certainly, the in terms of the poverty, the 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 weather and the impact that rain and cold and and a very long winter has on on the poor that definitely comes across. One of the things in the Broken Token, well, um, while there are certain interactions with kind of the 
the better to do. They don't necessarily come across in the most positive light. They all have an agenda. It was uh-huh. it was quite lovely in Cold Cruel Death. There's a character, um, the the widow of of the first um, murder victim. And uh, I thought I thought she was remarkable. She knew exactly who the constable was. She just seemed to be one of those no nonsense people. But she was also, you know, she w- wasn't deferential to him. But she she respected his who he was and the pos- position that he did. And I thought that um, you know, where where it would have been very easy to have created the caricature of the wealthy, unfeeling class. You know that that's been avoided as well just by having. Uh, four pages is it she's she's she only appears twice you know um but she's very human i really liked that i i I must admit i i would be interested to see you know richard having being being forced to to deal with his um so-called betters you know it would be good to see him in that world as well um there's there's a lot of that in the third book actually Mm. where he, he does most of his dealings are with um people who are rich and titled yeah um and again you know that was a deliberate thing i wanted to explore yeah yeah so it's um but again this is part of of changing things around and, and keeping it interesting that way and when i reach the stage where i think i might be repeating myself and it's time to stop this series yeah well I mean you know you're doing things outside of it so I suppose that gives you the necessary gap that it's not like you know I mean I know Agatha Christie developed quite a loathing for Hercule Poirot by the end of her 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 writing career it was one of the reasons she created Miss Marple she just wanted to move away from the Belgian you know Um, but the publishers and the public were so fond of him that um that she sort of by necessity had to keep going, but it, you know she was able to break it up a little bit with um with some of her other detectives. I ideally see this series running about ten books. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even going to guarantee Richard Nottingham will be in all of them. Hmm. Um. I mean, John I could certainly take I center stage. <laughs> I'm sorry? John could certainly take centre stage for, for a book or um, two, you know. And eventually he might. Mm. Um, because, you know, let's face it, they're in a dangerous profession. Yeah, and he is the heir apparent, you know. Well, he is. Um, I mean, you know, there's no decisions made on that yet. Mm. And, uh, but it, it stands as a possibility. Mm. I think... Um, a, oh, an interesting character introduced in the third book, who's an ongoing character... Um, as you'll discover mm. but um, it's uh, yeah I mean it, there is a good sort of team if mm. you like yeah I'm, I would very much agree with that given that um, that there are so many television programs at the moment I, I prefer TV as a medium when it comes to literary adaptations because I think you're able to include an awful lot more of the details but there's a real historical bent right now you know following Rome we've had the Tudors and um, oh, yeah. now there's the series with Jeremy Irons is it the Borgia um, Spartacus I mean is would that be would that be something that you'd be interested in in sort of Recreating that that period on a more on on a, a visual scale. Well, a very good friend of mine who lives in Leeds and is a playwright um, has expressed interest in adapting the Broken Token for television as a series. Yeah. Um, however, she uh, has been turned down. Her proposal has been turned down by a couple of people, so it's it's kind of in abeyance at the moment. That what the the main thing they've said is it, it would be very expensive to make it would be very expensive to make well and there's no point in making it unless you're going to get those fine details down because they're so much a part of the story the the environment the setting exactly and i mean you know you've got to recreate a town yeah. basically and that's an expensive proposition yeah um and I'd be interested in it being adapted for television with the right writer, and she is 
the right writer, someone I've known for a long time, mm. uh, uh, whose politics are the same as mine, and, and that's important to me. Yeah. Um, if I were just to get an offer out of the blue, the only way I'd accept it would be by saying, this person has to be yeah. the script writer. Yeah. Um, otherwise, no, because it would actually cause me a great problem because it would give Richard Nottingham, all the main characters, they'd have faces, they'd be physical, and I'd inevitably be influenced by that when I was writing about them in the future. Mm. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, I mean, the nearest analogy I can give you is um, I was uh, interviewing a few years ago wonderful Irish fiddler named Martin Hayes and he said to me you know when Irish fiddle playing was first recorded that changed everything before that you had the tradition that evolved and people put their own little glosses and personalities into a tune it, it changed with each person mm. Once it was set in concrete on a recording, everybody wanted to imitate the recording. Yeah. And I'd be a little worried that I'd be writing to a television, Richard Notting. That's that's who I would see in my head. So. Uh, I suppose because you're still writing the this. books, they're still your babies. I mean, you've released them into the world, but they're still very much yours. After the series oh, is absolutely. over, I suppose it would be easier to you know, to sort of watch watch the show as a separate, you know, a separate thing, but while it's yeah. ongoing, I imagine it. Having said that, I think Philip oh, Bannister would be, um, would be a great Amos Worthy. <laughs> I'm sorry? I think um, the guy from Life on Mars, I could see him being Amos Worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can see that, I have to admit. It's, um, but yeah, to a degree, I can see your point. Yeah. But I suppose that's I'm, the I mean, beauty, I get to speculate. He's the only yeah. one where I can really see a face. Yeah. Um, Richard Nottingham and John Sedgwick might be very, very much there and very present to me, but they don't really have faces. I suppose you're looking at the story through their eyes. To, to a large degree, that's it, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Um, I believe earlier, um, when we first started, you said that your family um, date in Leeds back to that time. Is there any chance that they're uh, going to pop up at some point? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I managed to go back to 1795. My ancestor of mine was um, born in Malton, in North Yorkshire. Yes. But that's... And he moved down to Leeds in the early 1800s, but that's, um, so my connection comes a lot later. Right. I suppose that's a, that's fair enough. If you're still writing my, them my, in my 50... My family, just, their family name was Townend, and the, back in the period I'm talking about, the um, area of Brigade, sort of beyond the Hedra, where New Brigade is, was called Townend. If there's a connection there, I don't know. There may be. I'm actually working with a, a lady whose surname is Townend, so it's she's very, very yeah. Leeds. So it's obviously um, it's one of those names that has survived the passage of time, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I mean, uh, my, you know, my last name is is uh, as best I can tell a very Yorkshire name. So yeah. it's um, <laughs> but Leeds is just. Absolutely and utterly, you know, in my blood. When, when I come up and walk around Leeds, what I'm seeing is not the Leeds of Harvey Nichols and um, Pound Marks and Spencers and what have you. I'm what I'm seeing is Leeds as it was, and just up Brigitte from Kurgut is um, the Moot Hall standing right in the middle of the street and. The shambles with all the butcher's shops on the ground floor and the market cross up at the hedgerow and yeah. things like that. It's it's like existing in two different times at once. Mm. 
Are there um are there, at the moment? I'd probably get treatment throughout the NHS, but <laughs> well, as long as you don't expect a preference for living in the time frame you can't actually <laughs> get to, I think you should be okay. <laughs> um, are are is the Broken Token and Cold Cruel Winter are they available as eBooks yet? Broken Token is. Mm. In fact, it's it's really only available as an eBook now because Underwear Crime, which published that. Um, was a small independent publisher, and Lynn, uh, who was the publisher, actually sold the imprint to Seven House. Mm. Um, so, although Cold Crawl Winter is uh, published by Seven House, um, at the moment it's just out as a hardback. It's coming out as a trade paperback in January right around the time that The Constant Lovers is published. Mm. And I don't know, I haven't heard any plans to um, put it out as an e-book. I wouldn't be too surprised if it came out as an e-book not long after um, Trade Paper, but don't quote me because I've, I've, not, I've not heard anything about that. Right. Well, Chris, I'm going to have to uh, to bring this to a, to a close, but it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, hang well, on. For thank you very much. I'm flattered that you wanted to, and it's been a lovely conversation. No, you're you're my um you're going to be my first podcast interview. So, so I'd just like to say thank you again so much, and um, look forward to chatting to you soon about your next book.